Hello everybody, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. Good to see you, we're glad that you are joining us today. Reason for Hope is a uh, live broadcast which is uh, dedicated to your questions on the Bible. That's right, it's a Bible Q&A show. We are live with you, you can send your questions in through our multiple online platforms or through our email address and we will answer those questions with the help of God's Word, the Bible. That's what we're all about. So if you have questions, maybe a question on a, a specific verse or passage of scripture or the Bible as a whole, maybe Christianity or other worldviews even, or even something you're going through in your own life, um, as long as you know we're going to delve into the Bible, there's that word again, delve to find the answers. That's what we're all about here at Reason for Hope. So we're very glad that you're joining us and we're very glad for your questions as well. My name's Dave Robson. I will be your host today and fielding those questions as they come on in with us today, Pastor Scott Richards and Pastor Sean Richards, father-son duo over here. You guys doing good? We're doing awesome. It's good e to even see better you. because we get to talk about God's Word for the next I hour. Know, that's not bad. There's much worse things than that, I think. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Well, thank you for your time today. Thanks for being here. We look forward to how the Lord's going to guide the, the time. We never know where it's going to go. It could be any question at all. So it's very fun. It can take all kinds of twists and turns. Uh, well, as I mentioned, Reason of Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It's here in Tucson, Arizona, where this broadcast is originated from. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You'll find us live there if you follow that Watch Live tab. And it will take you out to our live page, and you'll see the video there. You can sign in with a username of your choice. and. There's a chat function where you can send your questions in, and I'll be looking for those when we're offline. You'll see a countdown to our next show and uh, a schedule of upcoming events as well. Not only uh, Reason for Hope, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church, or again, follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com, and you will find us there. We're on Facebook, of course, Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson, or facebook.com slash ccf. Tucson, don't forget to like and share. And that's another way you can send your question in on the chat function. I will be there as well, watching and waiting for your questions to come on in. We have an app as well for your mobile device. Search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You're getting the theme here. And look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. That's another way you could view um, the show and send your questions in that way as well. We have a, a channel on Roku and Apple TV. So if you have those devices, don't forget to add Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson as a channel, and you can watch us live there as well. We're on YouTube, of course. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. And uh, that's a great place to go for archives whenever we have been live. If you go to that live tab, it's automatically archived there. So if you missed a show or you want to uh, recap a question we covered or something like that, something that interested you, that's a great place to go for archives on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. And again, like and subscribe and share and click the bell and you'll get notified when we are live and all that good stuff. We would appreciate it very much. Our pastor Scott here is on Twitter. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Uh, his handle is ScottR4H and he posts highlights from the show and and uh, all kinds of shenanigans, uh, but also... <laughs> <laughs> Tomfoolery. Tomfoolery, that's the word. Uh, but also commentary on, on like world events. There's so much going on in the world as it pertains to end time things and prophetic things. So it's uh, very interesting to follow along with uh, Scott on Twitter there. So Scott R4H, if you're on Twitter, give him a follow. We're on Rumble as well. Look for a reason for Hope Bible Q&A. 
And at the moment we post uh, archive, but we are hoping to use their live uh, function as well, if that works out well for everybody involved. So be watching there. But if you're on Rumble, please add us a reason for hope, Bible Q and A. And last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for hope, all spelled out at gmail.com is our email address. You'll want to use that if you're joining us on the radio. You are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so you're not live with us per se. But use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll get to that question on our next show. And of course, consider joining us on one of those other aforementioned live platforms where you can be live, live, live with us so once again please do send your questions in whatever uh, platform you're joining us on get those questions in early we'd love to get to all your questions on the show today and pass it out the time for that but before we go any further we'd love to pause and pray because obviously we need the lord to speak and we're handling his word it's a very serious thing so absolutely pastor scott would you like to do that that would be great lord thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to enter into your gates with thanksgiving your courts with praise because lord all we have in our comes from you so we're thankful for that we're thankful that we have this time to be able to explore your word here today we thank you uh, that you haven't left us uh, just to grope in the dark for the answers on the big questions of life Uh, You not only wanted us to know what it means to know you, what our purpose is in this life, how we can have a relationship with you, but you delivered the message personally in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that he would be honored and glorified. We pray your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. We pray that at the end of this program, we'd know you better than we started. Thank you, Lord, that we can give these things to you. We look forward now with anticipation to the work you're going to do in our hearts through your spirit and through your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we did have some questions that were left over from yesterday. Unless, Scott, you had anything to share with us? Sometimes you share a little... Uh... Well, just a couple things real quickly. Uh, today is Memorial Day in Israel. Uh, oh, they are celebrating uh, and remembering those who laid down their life uh, so that uh, the Jewish nation could exist. And uh, Joel Rosenberg's Great All Israel News site uh, also has a headline that the total population of Israel has just passed the 10 million mark. Uh, that's uh, really remarkable in that uh, the population has increased 12 times since the modern state was established in May of 1948. So wow. we're seeing definitely the fig tree blossoming over yeah, there. For sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. But, uh, you know, again, keep your eye on Israel, epicenter yep. of what God's doing prophetically, and, right. and uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I think we'll be good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, well, uh, like I say, a question from yesterday that we didn't get to from Mac D. Uh, he asked, is pride or stubbornness something that gets in the way of admitting you have a problem? How, uh, how do you break addiction or habitual ways? Is that firstly a pride issue, keeping us from admitting that something's wrong? Well, pretty much every sin is a pride issue at some point. Mm-hmm. You just have to dig deep enough some less subtly than others but when it comes to breaking any habit obviously the idea of admitting you have a problem comes from the 12-step program which believe it or not is based on biblical principles when we're talking to people in our church's purity group and that's not just for sexual issues it's also for gambling it's also for drug abuse it's also for self-harm that's how i got involved 
But when it comes to breaking bad habits, the first thing that we would want to encourage people to do, and this is biblical, is not to shun the sin, but to replace it with something better. Because obviously, as we tend to point out, it may come across as sloganeering, but it is true when someone's turning to something to medicate, that usually means that there's a great deal of pain they're trying to treat. They're just turning to the wrong means to treat it. Mm -hmm. The first thing, of course, is to recognize Jesus as the better option, and that's straight out of the Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And notice that's a self-fulfilling wish. You want the Lord. If the Lord's the desire of your heart, he's your delight. You'll get him, and with him everything good and perfect. That's referencing James. So noting then, and we can also (coughs) turn, for instance, to James chapter 4, and noting uh, verses 6 through 7, I believe, that uh, if we acknowledge the fact that we are anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving made our requests known to God, then the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These are just some passages that build up this idea that if you're going to break a bad habit, it's best to start a new one, and we're better than fellowship with Jesus. But then the question is, okay, but what do I do with the old habit? It's still kind of latching on to me. Old habits die hard, as they say. Well, this is where you essentially adopt the Christian mindset towards your sin, and this is done through what we call confession. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, as well as James 5, verses 16 through 17, I believe, it notes the idea of confession, which literally means to say the same thing. If you have the same mindset or adopt the same mindset that God has towards your sin, you're going to view it a lot differently than your answer to your problems. It may still take some time. We note that the Christian life is compared to fruit-bearing and growth, not in a like instantaneous teleportation or anything like that. It's very gradual, and it's a very beneath-the-surface kind of process, as many pastors have rightly described it. So obviously, building better habits in place of the old one, and of course, taking the time to not only admit that these things are wrong in a public way, but also doing so in the presence of people. That was James' special emphasis, not just confession to God, which is what 1 John notes, but confession to your fellow men in James 5. He makes the point that if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we are healed that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and then goes on to note how prayer has even impacted the weather system when it was in alignment with God's will at times in history. So how much more are thought patterns and our life patterns. So the idea there is, of course, not just better habits and confession, but with the goal in mind of seeking fellowship. The idea of surrounding yourself with people that'll encourage you towards better habits. That, of course, is taken from the book of Hebrews. You can give me the chapter here when uh, my brain decides to start stop being filled with peanuts. But the idea of not forsaking the gathering together of yourselves as we see the day approaching is as such as the habit of some. This is another way of building new and better habits of having the sort of mindset that surrounds yourself with people that you admire and whose lifestyles you'd want to cultivate. We all know uh, when we see, for instance, a fun movie or a compelling character, we adopt their mannerisms and characteristics. Well, the friends in your life, the influences in your life, the people you most admire have the same common goal of being like Jesus, 
that is a way of rubbing off on people. And that's another way of setting new habits in life. Of course, pride being, uh, or stubbornness, if you will, but a self-deceptive worldview towards God and others, that's pride in a nutshell, obviously doesn't want to admit that you are doing things wrong. There's no need to correct the way you're walking. You have gotten just fine, gotten by just fine in this life, or you enjoy these things. Who is God to tell you otherwise? These are dramatic, albeit, but very direct examples of the things that keep us from confession, keep us from fellowship, keep us from seeking better habits, or at least acknowledging our old ones as faulty. That's why another part of the 12-step program, they call it hitting rock bottom. It's being aware of the fact that there is a better option out there because this option you've been taking has led you here. So anything other than here would be a step up. Why not go all the way back to the top and then some? So those are just some examples. Any others? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that's uh, an excellent definition. You know, there's a couple of scriptures that I think can give clarity because uh, our, our culture tends to celebrate the idea of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself and, right. and so on. Uh, you know, the, the Bible defines pride in a really interesting way. In uh, Psalm 10 and verse 4, uh, we're told, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis yeah. talked about pride as being the anti-God mindset. Mm-hmm. It says that I can uh, manage my life on my own power, my own strength, without God. And, uh, you know, we come up with all kinds of God substitutes, if you will, and that's where addiction, as you mentioned, Sean, begins to kick in and uh, where we begin to have, uh, you know, these difficulties because, as Blaise Pascal once said, inside each of us is a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And once we start to try to fill that, say, uh, not having confidence in the person of God, not having confidence that he's with us, not having confidence in the promise of his word, but confidence in my own confidence, confidence in my own consciousness of life, confidence in my own experience, confidence in my own, confidence in my own expertise. Uh, you know, the, it, there's nothing wrong with having expertise. There's nothing wrong with having experience. But if these things begin to take the place that God alone should have within our lives, well, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. Uh, you know, the, the, the problem with pride more than anything else is that uh, it leads us astray. Uh, and, and by leading astray, what I mean is this, uh, you know, it's been said if you try to navigate by a light that is tied to your own ship's mast, sooner or later you're going to either end up hopelessly lost or on the rocks. And that's what relying upon ourselves rather than relying upon God does within our lives. Yeah. We begin to think that we have the answers uh, and that we can get along just fine. Uh, and that's, you know, why you, you will see uh, especially online, people who reject a relationship with God do so. It's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty edgy kind of a thing mm-hmm. uh, because underneath human pride is fear, fear of abandonment, fear that, you know, uh, of being discovered, fear of, of uh, being found out that, yeah. uh, you know, we write uh, checks with our lips that our lives can't cash and so on. You know, I, I love uh, what Psalm 40 says about the alternative to this. Blesses that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Really interesting how pride and lies are intertwined because the ultimate lie 
is that we can manage our lives in our own power and our own strength without God. And uh, we discover in varying degrees each and every day just how deceptive and seductive it is to uh, try to do just that. And uh, if we seemingly get some results or get our own way for a time and for a while, well, you know, uh, it just digs us more and more into that anti-God mindset, leads us away from relationship with him. Right. Uh, you know, the, the opposite of pride then is humility, and humility is not self-depreciation. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's another word, one where we get kind of confused. Uh, right. Some of the most proud people I've run into are also the most self-depreciating. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes people will come up to me and talk to me as a pastor, and they'll say, oh, that Christ died for such a worm as I, and I'm so terrible, and oh, you know, all this other stuff. And, and you know, there are people, obviously, who struggle with, uh, with uh, self-image issues. You know, maybe they have come up in an abused background. I don't, I don't exclude that possibility. Sure. But more often than not, when someone's laying it on real thick like that, you really want to find out uh, how sincere it is, agree with them. Hmm. Uh, just say, yeah, you really are a worm, you know. You, you are really one of the most loathsome people I've ever met in my life. And inevitably, they'll get offended. How dare you? You know, because you're agreeing with them. And, and basically, it just reveals, and I always try to step in and show them this, they don't really believe that, yeah. you know, deep down inside. If you really hated yourself, right, and the scriptures says no man hated himself, you wouldn't pay the slightest bit of attention to yourself at all. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, that, that's, the, uh, that's the danger that gets involved with all of that and, you know, why, you know, pride is such a devastating sin. You know, C.S. Lewis points out it was pride, falling in love with himself, that caused Satan to fall in the first place. It wasn't that he didn't have certain things that were admirable, but when you separate even the admirable from our life from the one who's given us these things, inevitably these things lead us astray. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there a place to be proud of something i know it's a really difficult as a christian it's a difficult word to use but you know i mean i, I write songs you're an author sean you create things out of foil and other medium like is it wrong to be proud of something that you have recognition made? of it is good that would be better described in christian terms as joy or thankfulness god thank you that i could be a part of this thank right. you for the work that you've done through this i recognize this is reflective of you but we use the word pride which is one of the faults of your language so thanks yeah <laughs> you're yeah. welcome yeah you're welcome. Yeah. yeah yeah you know and, and i think you you bring up a, a really good point because you know people say well you know you should be proud of these things that you've done yeah but you know it, uh, you know do i write books because i want people to think i'm articulate or because i'm good at grammar or because I shamelessly rip off great illustrations I find from other people and, you know, fold spindle and, you know, when you, you do a song, you know, uh, you know, do you write a song uh, because you want people to go, oh man, I want people to know I'm a really good songwriter. You know, I really am great on chord progressions or I really have a good turn of phrase on lyric. Maybe when I was Uh, a teenager. You know, and, and, (laughs) you know, some people are like that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I found, you know, it's the old, if you die to yourself, you're going to live. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we take a look at something that we've done and then we stop and realize, wait, it was the Lord that gave me the ability to be able to do this. This is a gifting yeah. from his hand, contrary to what you might even hear it in some Christian circles. Uh, living for the glory of God, to, to glorify him is not some kind of pompous, you know, King Jamesy kind of a concept, 
but it is really, I believe, the pathway to total fulfillment in life mm. because God's made us for himself and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in him. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I think when we use our talents and abilities for his glory, we die to ourselves so that we can live for him. Then, you know, the amazing thing is this, it's one of the great ironies of the Christian life. Uh, the, the, the more that we die to ourselves, the more fulfillment we find in life. Uh, the more we try to find fulfillment in life, the more it kind of slips through our fingers like sand. Yeah. So very true. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Mac D, for that question. It's a great question. Uh, it's really interesting to discuss that. I hope that helped you out. Thanks for being part of the show. Uh, we had a question from Taylor. Uh, Should a Christian work for multinational corporations? He says he just got hired at a family business as a janitor today. And the uh, dynamic, yeah, <laughs> the dynamic, uh, one of the owners is Christian, uh, seems so much more humane. So he's enjoying working for this small family business with a Christian boss. But, you know, should we stay away from working for big multinational corporations is that something we should intentionally do well didn't slow down daniel did it no and not liking <laughs> your job means that you just started it doesn't mean that it's not called to you by god be careful of the mindset when we say you know the world can't be something that we're a part of otherwise we're uh, i guess party to the things that it gets wrong most of the time you again i mentioned the uh, fact that Daniel, who served basically as a political advisor and representative of the Babylonian Empire, which was thoroughly pagan, and yet was able to glorify God in it. How? Because he brought with it, what does Daniel 1 say? The excellent attitude and spirit in him. And that's yeah. repeatedly mentioned. Yeah. Colossians 3 can be more straightforward. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do heartily as unto the Lord. If the people there treat you well, great, that's rare. But if, on the other hand, you're at a job, and it tends to be a job, not uh, a hobby, it's nine to five, it's the necessary part of being in a fallen world. From the sweat of our brow, we bring forth fruit. And even though that looks a little different than it used to in our modern age, the principle is still the same. You have the opportunity to do a job, and when you do things without grumbling and complaining, when you do things as unto the Lord rather than unto your uh, inhumane boss, if that's the word that you want to use, it's all ultimately missing the point if we instead focus on the faults and say, well, the only groups I want to be a part of are Christian ones because they're the only ones that will treat me right. Yeah. On the contrary, sometimes there, there's a word for people who in the name of Christ take advantage of people. We call it affinity fraud, uh, cheating you out of cheap labor, paying you less wages and mm -hmm. so forth. So, so don't get in that mindset of, well, I, I have to be in spiritual work because that's the only ministry. I got to be a pastor or I have to you know, serve in the church because it's the only way to honor God in my work. Now, you honor God in your work by acting like God in your work. The work is the open term. The Lord is the objective term, not the other way around. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, the other thing that we find is, like at the end of the book of Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul even gives a shout-out to those who are serving in Caesar's palace. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that was Caesar's palace in Vegas. <laughs> uh, Anodating that a little bit. It wasn't but, a good Caesar either. But, uh, but they were people that got saved. Uh, in fact, some of them were part of the Praetorian Guard, mm -hmm. which were you know, the, uh, the, the, closest, the, the closest of uh, Roman soldiers to provide security for Caesar, for Caesar and so on. Yeah, I, I, I think you can, uh, you know, serve in uh, a uh, multinational 
corporation. I think the thing that we have to ask ourselves, though, is what are we doing in the service of that multinational corporation? Uh, you know, uh, I, I'll provide uh, sufficient uh, cover uh, for all this, but a friend of ours uh, decided to get out of a particular uh, place of employment that he was in because um, he felt that the products that he was providing were actually damaging people's lives. And he was making quite a good living at it. Uh, but, uh, you know, he prayed about it and he just really felt like uh, in light of the more things he discovered uh, about uh, this uh, particular business, uh, the more he saw how destructive it was, uh, he just didn't feel in good conscience he could do that. Yeah, so there hear. does come a time where you've got to ask yourself that question. Uh, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Not so much for who, but why? Uh, right. You know, like I, I think of Paul's famous uh, remark uh, that, uh, you know, as far as, you know, not associating with people in the world, uh, you know, and uh, you know, he said if you were to do that, you'd have to go out of the world. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, if you really want to, you know, trace everything down, uh, you know, and bring it back to its sources and all of this other stuff, I, you know, and you see people on the Internet doing this all the time saying, oh, you know, that's corrupt because it goes back to this and this and this and the Illuminati and, and so on. And I, I don't think that that does us any good. Yeah. The, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, okay, am I serving the Lord? Am I doing something uh, that fits in with what Scripture tells us to do in First Thessalonians chapter 4, living a quiet life, working with our own hands so that we're not a debtor to anyone? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think if we do that, uh, you know, we can... Uh, you know, again, pay attention to seeing if what we're doing is, you know, hurting people or, you know, contributing to corruption or things along this line. You got to draw a line there. Yeah, obviously uh, no uh, prostitutes or drug dealers for Jesus. No, right. no Christian only fans. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and you'd be surprised. I mean, there are people that will come up on the Internet that say things like that. Like, yeah. this is what I'm doing for the glory of God. No, you're not doing it for the glory of God. You're doing it and it's destroying the lives of people. Right. So you got to draw a line there. But in, you know, it's kind of like the uh, question you guys tackled uh, yesterday about honoring your father and mother. Right. Um, yeah, you know, the most honorable way to honor your father and mother is to live a honor God-honoring life. And in 99% of the cases, uh, if you do that, your father and mother are going to be honored by what you did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in that 1%, where, say, a father or mother tell you to do something that's immoral or illegal or anti-Christian, you're not dishonoring them by saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, on the other side of the coin, you're honoring them by saying, no, I'm going to live to a higher standard. And uh, sooner or later, maybe even at Judgment Day, you're going to see that that was probably one of the greatest honors you could ever receive. Same thing when we go to work for, for right. a company. Yeah. So, yeah. And having, you know, having a, a Christian... Uh, boss, as Taylor said, I mean, we all work here at, at the church, which is a, a huge blessing to do what we do, but we're still fallen. We're still going to hurt each other. We're still going <laughs> to, you know, do things. Uh, it's, it's, it does, it's not like sin doesn't come into the picture, even working working at a church, you know, no. so being. No. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it in my own life. So. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, Taylor, thank you. Great, a great question. Uh, congratulations on the, on the job there. I hope that goes well for you and I hope that helps you out thanks for being part of the broadcast you're a regular uh, question from Darren uh, the parable 
uh, of the talents. I'm afraid of being wrong, making the wrong decision when it comes to job and career and ministry. Should I just pick a job instead of being afraid? Uh, you wicked and lazy servant, if you had made any decision, even if you were wrong, but because you didn't do anything, um, is this a good application for the verse? So the parable of the talents, Darren's kind of wrestling with that. Yeah, I can't comment on this for another 25 years, so. <laughs> oh, the parables. Yes. Well, that isn't one of the parables of the kingdom. It's the parables of the talents. So Chuck, they were kind of laughing about Chuck Smith once made uh, the observation that one shouldn't be in ministry for like, 30 years. 30 years before you comment on the parables of the kingdom oh. <laughs> in Matthew 13. But this is not one of the parables of the kingdom. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, a uh, picture of a uh, landowner, uh, very, uh, a king going on a journey, gives to a number of his uh, uh, immediate servants different talents. A talent was a measure of money during that time and uh, asked them to uh, invest it and to bring back a return and that he would give, ask them a, to give a report on their stewardship when he came back. And uh, you know, one who had give, been given five talents came back and said, I bought and sold and traded, here's five more. Uh, and the, the uh, landowner said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a little, I'll appoint you over much, be in charge of five cities and so on. The only one who's condemned is the one who received one talent and each were given these talents according to their abilities and he came back with his talent intact and he said you know hey uh you know i know that you're a harsh man uh reaping where you didn't sow and so on and uh you know so i buried your talent uh here is yours here's what is yours and they said you wicked and evil servant uh you know why didn't you at least give my money to the bankers so i would have so some interest and so he took the one talent away from the guy who had one talent and gave it to the guy who had five uh, and then jesus said in the same way many who are first now will be last and the last will be first in the kingdom so the, the point of the parable is not to give us some kind of uh, investment advice uh, what it is is a picture of how we are to occupy with our lives while we anticipate our Lord returning to this world and that God gives to each of us certain gifts and talents and abilities that he wants us to invest for the glory of his kingdom. Uh, if we just take our talent and bury it in the earth, uh, well, that is the, uh, the, the, the root cause of all of that was a complete misunderstanding of the character of the king in the first place. The guy thought that the king was harsh and uh, unfair and was going to rip him off. And so, you know, if we don't have a healthy view of who God is and how much he loves us and that really all things uh, are his to begin with, we're not gonna live very productive Christian lives. But the talent involved there doesn't really have anything to do with employment. Uh, you know, I think as far as verses that have to do with employment, uh, I think Sean, some of the most simple and direct verses are like in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, uh, not unto men, for you serve the Lord Christ. Right? Yeah, or Ephesians uh, 6, where it notes, uh, servants obey your masters as unto the Lord, for you have one master who is in heaven. And then likewise, for those in the employer business, masters be gentle to your servants and just with them for you also have a master in heaven so noting that kind of perspective i think 
is ultimately what's going to dictate what a good career path is going to do, not just something you can do competently, honoring and reflecting the Lord in his excellent work, but also, and even more importantly, with the right attitude, doing it as a servant. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the only, you know, real career input that I can give to you just on a, on a practical point of view, now that, you know, I'm in my 60s, I can wax uh, eloquent about these sort of things. Uh, and things that I, I really wish that I understood when I was starting out uh, in my career path. And God was certainly faithful to me in that he laid on my heart very early on that he wanted me to be involved with ministry. Uh, you know, again, I worked in some other careers. I worked in radio and television broadcasting. Uh, I worked in management for a bank uh, for a time. Um, had a number of different uh, career hats that I was able to uh, have down through time. But uh, the, the most important piece of advice I could give to somebody uh, is this. Choose your career path. Don't let your career path choose you. Uh, and and by, I, by this, I mean Sometimes people go, oh, I, I got to pay my bills. Uh, you know, I got to pay the rent, and this is the only job that's available for me, so I'm going to jump in and do this job. Mm. Well, you can do that, and you can survive in a career. Uh, you know, the bank that I worked for in California, it's funny, sometimes we watch these uh, old Columbo uh, reruns on TV and it's uh, you know based in California and I saw a sign from my old bank my old bank uh -huh. uh, that I worked for has been you know gobbled alive by massive conglomerates several times but a security Pacific Bank and I remember when I first started working for them they put out a little uh, newsletter and and uh, the president of Security Pacific Bank was getting ready to retire and they asked him what he felt his greatest career uh, achievement was and he just said oh well I suppose just hanging in keeping a job all these years <laughs> and I looked at that and I went well wow that's it yeah you know you just kind of kept holding on to your position yeah you know I think God has better things for us than that yeah. and particularly when you're young and you have a measure of freedom and flexibility uh, before you take on a bunch of debt that starts driving you in the direction of saying, boy, I better get this job, you know, and I better hold on to it. Or even making decisions about, say, the timing of getting married, uh, you know, really a good idea uh, to sit down and ask yourself this question. Okay, what, what talents, what abilities, uh, what, what are, are my heart's desires? Uh, and is there some way that I can do this and actually get paid for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you do it right, you know, it, it, you know what we do for a living is just uh, it can be an amazing blessing. You know, people will come up to me and say, "Oh man, you've been a pastor. You know, been at this church for almost 30 years." And you know, aren't you feeling a little burned out? I go, "Are you kidding? I feel like the kid who grew up to be a baseball player. I can hardly get. I can hardly believe I get to do what I get to do. There's nothing more fulfilling than being able to, you know, really." Uh, find that place where where what you do doesn't seem like a burden yeah uh, and it doesn't seem like the daily grind or the oh here we go again you know I better you know nuke myself on coffee so I can go through another day really important to take a step back and first of all pray and ask the Lord to reveal what is his intention and purpose I'm not suggesting that everybody has to go into full-time ministry uh, probably the best advice I can give you about ministry uh, is this, if you can do anything uh, other than be 
in ministry, then do it because it's, it's something that'll take you to your limits if you're not careful. But, you know, find something that you really enjoy. Find something that's really uh, a, a part of your natural talents and, and, and abilities and pursue that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, you pursue these sort of things, it's amazing sometimes how doors will open up uh, and people will recognize your passion for a particular area, a particular, uh, you know, area of expertise. Maybe it's cooking, you know, who knows? Maybe it's you just really enjoy people and you, you, you really get a thrill out of counseling them and leading them in the right direction. Maybe you're very good at, at business and, uh, you know, you want to come alongside others and, and help them, say, with real estate or, or with their personal finances. You get a great deal of satisfaction out of that. You know, that is a great way to choose a career without having your career choose you. Yeah. And uh, boy, you know, the sooner you can get focused on that, the better, because the more you go on, the more entanglement you get, the harder it is to pull that off. Right, right. That's great advice. Thanks for sharing so, that. Yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Very good. No, that was yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, I, I remember when I, when I first came on Staffy years ago, at first, the first year maybe, my paycheck was literally a tree paper check and bows to come in my office you know every couple of weeks and put it down i remember Back in the day yeah i remember thinking like well, i can't believe you're gonna pay me for doing this like i love it i remember saying to you like oh i would i would do this if you weren't even paying me and you said oh good let's do that <laughs> i was like no i was just kidding I was just actually kidding. truth be told uh when you first started getting involved with us you just started showing up on wednesday nights you know because you like the church yeah he said oh yeah well you know i, I kind of play the guitar and and lead worship you know, a little bit down in Sierra Vista with this youth group. And, you know, if you ever need any help with all of that, uh, okay, well, you know, how, you know, how much damage can you do on a Wednesday night? You know, <laughs> just to discover this, you know, really super talented guy and this, this heart for God. And, and I remember, you know, saying, you know, hey, we at least want to pay you for your gas coming up here. And you were like, no, 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 I just kind of like doing it without, yeah. you know, and, and we really kind of had to twist your arm to get you into that, that place. Yeah. And I think that's another insight, you know, if, if, if you find something and you find yourself going, you know, if they weren't paying me, I'd be doing this anyway. Yeah. Right. That's a really good way of finding out you've hit that sweet spot. Yeah. And that's a huge blessing in your life to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah. 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 Great stuff. Well, uh, uh, Darren, thanks for that question. Hope that helps you out. That was, uh, that was a great discussion too. A uh, question from Jeffrey here. Hello, Jeffrey. Thanks for, for joining us. And a reminder as well, send your questions in. We still have some time left on the show. So uh, whatever platform you're joining us, please send your questions along. We're, we're monitoring all those platforms, whether it's Facebook or our website or YouTube. Send them on in, um, and uh, we'll get to those questions on our show today, Lord willing. But uh, anyway, Jeffrey has a question. Uh, do you believe God wants to restore things quickly, uh, but oftentimes we are the ones that delay restoration because of because of selfish desires. So I guess the question is, would God always work quickly in things? And you can even maybe think about healing in this as well, but we kind of delay that or postpone that, or do you think God wants to work slowly sometimes in things? Yeah, the thought that usually accompanies this is, for instance, if practically Israel had gone from Egypt to Canaan, they would have made the trip in what, three weeks? going straight from the Sinai Peninsula all the way to there, of course, with the 40-day delay that uh, they spent in Sinai, and that, of course, had to happen for a reason. But it wasn't a long journey. The reason they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years was because of their own 
stubbornness, their unwillingness to trust God to get them through the promised land and give them what he promised that he would. So the mindset is to, well, narrow in definition, the broad application is to say that, well, God could lead us into Christ-likeness to get rid of these habits, to um, equip us fully for this kind of ministry, or to, you know, fill in the blank as far as this thing that God would want to do in your life, but our fallenness, our continued uh, failures and so forth, are the reason why it's taking so long, which, while it does have a point that the decisions that we make do in fact matter. It ends up, I think, deteriorating God to kind of an improv specialist, that when he not only got himself involved with our lives, but saw the end from the beginning, that he had an ideal, and then of course had to fall back on plan B and plan C, and by the time, you know, Two weeks have passed. He's probably on uh, subplan A two dash forty one, and on on it goes. And while it is true that there, again, take it for what you will, but uh, something for the ideal will of God for your life and the volitional will of God for your life. There are examples in Scripture of that that God would have given us peace, but because our hearts were far from him, we ended up being our own worst enemy, the biggest obstacle between us and God. The best mindset, I think, that keeps this issue of, okay, God's purposes, is God delaying this work? Does God know how long this is going to take, and so the process is being dragged out? Or are my decisions limiting God? Am I redirecting God? And he's just kind of pushing me back every time I get out of line onto the right course, and it's going to take as long as it's going to take from his perspective. Both of those, I think, aren't off of Scripture, but kind of veering on the edge of what could be reasonably supported. So to keep them both in line, the best thing to do is to make sure that your view of God is elevated and his holiness is your priority. Mm. If you know, as Scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2 says, that's the Christian life, then the idea of, man, how many times have I, why do I always interfere? What could God's purposes be for me if I hadn't made this decision? Say, I wonder what God's doing today. You know, God, whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of that. That, I think, is a far better attitude and perspective on life than thinking not just how bad have I messed up, but what is something God can do right today? Even if it's just one more step in the right direction, I think that's more positive. Now, you can let the philosophies run their course and examine in Scripture what has more merit. Again, these positions don't exist in a vacuum, but if Jesus is your focus, you won't be focusing as much on the ways you've messed up, because he's always going to do right by us. Yeah. And as Philippians 1.6 says, he who began that work is going to see it through to the end. Right. He will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the only thing I'd add is, you know, like uh, you mentioned, uh, could the people of Israel have just gone, you know, right. two-week journey straight into the <laughs> promised land? Uh, yeah, in theory, but they had uh, some pretty important life lessons to learn first. Yep. You know, when they went into the promised land, uh, the book of Deuteronomy chapter seven, these are like Moses' 
last messages to, to Israel is, if you don't remember anything else I told you, remember this uh, kind of dialogue. And he, he says something interesting uh, about their future entering into the promised land. Uh, he says, you shall not be terrified of them, that is the inhabitants of the land, for the Lord your God, great and awesome, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You'll be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they're destroyed. Now, the interesting principle there, uh, you know, if uh, God had just said, okay, Canaanites wiped out, they would have had another problem. How do you manage all of this land that is now just this huge vacuum? Yep. And so God was going to give them victories little by little. And, uh, you know, if there's ever been a truer assessment of uh, my experience in my walk with God, is that real growth in, our, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus uh, happens little by little. You know, sometimes we'll offer these testimonies of these big trials that we go through and, you know, how the Lord, you know, gave us wisdom and insight in the middle of them. But I think we miss something there in that, you know, the, the wisdom, the, the trust, the faith, the experience of walking with the Lord that led us to be successful in facing that trial was something that God built up uh, almost uh, imperceptibly, subtly over time with all of the little tiny trials that come our way. And, and, and so just like the Lord was going to drive out the nations before them little by little, uh, a step at a time, because he saw the bigger picture. So the Lord is going to lead us uh, from glory to glory. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, as far as being conformed, confirmed to the image of Christ, uh, but it's going to be a process, and anybody that offers you fast-forward spirituality that, uh, you know, well, you know, I know how to completely be sin-proof in, you know, three easy steps, follow me, you know, I, I don't really think that's the case. You know, even the Apostle Paul uh, towards the end of his life said, not that I've already attained it, uh, but forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward uh, to what lies ahead. I press on for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right. Well, if a guy like Paul, after walking with the Lord for quite some time, says, hey, I haven't attained. Yeah. I still have some lessons i got to learn. Right. Uh, so I think we can cut ourselves a break if we've still got a few lessons to learn. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, and Jeffrey added, uh, Jeffrey, who asked the question, added that he comes from a Pentecostal background, which often would mean prosperity, which would probably be more the get there quickly you know, and if, we, if you're not getting there quickly, then something's wrong, you know, that we should be prospering in all these ways. But, but the, you know, we can prosper in the journey, as you've talked about. There's a lot to prosper in the journey and the growing and, like you say, things to learn and grow in. So thank you, Jeffrey, for that question. It's a great question. hope that that's helped you out, gave you some things to think about. A uh, question from Craig. Do you think evolutionists have gone too deep to turn around and accept something different? Uh, there's too much humility involved. Um, I think that's just true of anyone in any position ever. If you're yeah. so entrenched in a position that you're not teachable, then that's just as much a fault as it would be if you were in a creationist position, which, by the way, I hold. If you were, you know, so dogmatic about your philosophy and you're not willing to be corrected about it, if you're so dogmatic about your theology or your tradition, 
but you're not willing to be corrected about it, that's, I think, the real kicker. If you want to know, you know, where does humility end and a stand for truth begin, it's not just a willingness to be corrected. Obviously, none of us believe our positions are true if we thought they were wrong. We're, we're not yeah. under the assumption, okay, unless you're me, but that's for other reasons. I am wrong, and now I have to wait for someone to come across and prove it. Until then, I'm going to hold this loosely. No, there's a reason you ought to believe for instance, things like the Bible as our authority on truth, the nature of Jesus as God, the nature of the Trinity right. as how God's revealed himself, salvation by grace through faith, etc. But if on issues like, for instance, with uh, abiogenesis macroevolution through means of natural selection as opposed to an intelligent designer, if evidence comes out in favor of one position, you don't dismiss it out of hand because it's not your tribe. You examine the reasons you have to trust your position against that and also give as much credence to those arguments, to those positions, as you would your own. That's where I think the desire, the love for truth comes in. If I'm shown, and this is a true story, evidence that macroevolution is true, that we are all, you know, spontaneous results, uh, natural progression, uh, result of uh, diversity of species all from one common ancestor, I look into it. Uh, evidence was given, say for instance, regarding the hip bones in whales and the fact that their brains have a way of processing light that at the depth of water that they're used to living in serves no purpose. And then they would say that's evidence that they probably descended from some sort of land creature or some other type of other seafaring creature right. and that they're starting to transition into a mammal state. Now note, that is evidence. That's a reason to believe something. But what other evidence do I have to believe that we have an intelligent designer that made all of these species as they are the way that they are? It's interesting when other evidence comes out, but if I'm so entrenched in my position and my tribe, if the virtue isn't the truth, but the fact that I'm with this position because it's true, there is a difference. That's where I think we uh, stop becoming teachable and become unobjective. Anyone can do this because that's just the way that we're wired. We're tribal creatures. So I think the best way to avoid this is, first of all, to acknowledge, hey, I don't know everything. But the second step is, of course, willing to compare, not to dismiss. I think that's the best attitude when it comes to anything. I obviously still hold to a lot of the positions I do in spite of opposition, but it's only because I've first, and this is also key, thought through my positions as to whether or not there are good reasons to trust them. Right, right. Uh, you know, in uh, the book that I wrote, uh, Reasonable Doubts, uh, there's a, uh, a really interesting illustration I use as to um, kind of the myth of a white lab coat set, uh, we hold them up as the priests of our day, the ones that somehow have achieved uh, revealed knowledge uh, that is not uh, available to the average person out there. We go, well, there's scientists, they're supposed to know. Right. Uh, well, scientists have a funny way of being like the rest of us for one undeniable reason. Scientists tend to be human beings, yep. and uh, they are just as prone to biases and faults and so on as anyone else. Uh, you know, when someone says, science says, uh, I'm immediately a bit skeptical about that because science doesn't say anything. Science is a methodology for being able to perceive reality correctly uh, through experimentation, duplication of the experiment, you know, putting forth a theory, testing it, and uh, then over time being able to confirm that that particular 
statement about reality. It's the scientific method there. Scientism, on the other hand, the philosophy that underlies much naturalistic scientist, science today, a naturalism, and all things can be explained uh, without an appeal to a god. Um, the minute someone starts dealing with statements like, well, we know there is no God. Uh, I don't care who you are. I don't care how many PhDs you have. You have made the leap there from physics to metaphysics. And by mm -hmm. metaphysics, what I mean is you're trading in theology, whether you realize it or not. You've made a theological statement. You've made a statement of faith. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when, when we, you know, you talk about, say, um, the, uh, the evaluation of, say, uh, whales and, you know, the, the, the pelvic setup and, and things along this line and, you know, saying, well, this points to the fact that uh, they came from wolf-like creatures that began to wade and developed a taste for scampi and, and then uh, eventually their nostrils migrated to the top of their mouths and, so they could breathe better and, and lo and behold, we have whales now. Uh, you know, when you hear these just-so stories uh, about the origin of creatures today, one of the things I really encourage people to do is to look for what I call weasel words, uh, because you'll see a lot of them. Uh, they'll say, scientists believe that, or uh, uh, it is possible that this happened. Uh, may. You know, <laughs> this may have been what led the wolf-like creature to develop the nostrils on that, you know, and, and, and really they're putting their cards on the table because what they're attempting to do is they're attempting to make a statement about the past, the unverifiable past, based upon their philosophy in the present. And that's really uh, what it comes down to. Uh, you know, there was a, a guy uh, who uh, wrote uh, uh, physics experiments, home physics experiments for Scientific Americans. His name was Forrest Mims. Uh, and his home physics experiments that were included in Scientific American were very well received. People liked uh, reading every month and setting these things up and doing them and so <laughs> on. dangerous. <laughs> Until it leaked out that Forrest Mims was uh, a believer in intelligent design. Well, he wasn't even a creationist. He just said he believed in intelligent design. Mm. Well, immediately that became a scandal and Scientific American uh, uh, immediately canceled his contract pulled his wow. articles, and uh, Forrest Mims basically sued them uh, and said, you know, that what you're doing is wrong. So they kind of came to a conclusion that he could uh, offer three more of these articles, and then he would have to go away. Well, what was wrong with Forrest Mims' physics experiments? There's no such thing as a creationist physics experiment. There's no such thing as an evolutionist physics experiment. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the guy who was doing it was a believer in intelligence design made him a heretic. Mm. And they had a statement of faith at Scientific American, and Forrest Mims could not pass that statement of faith, and so he had to be excommunicated. The whole thing just read like something out of the, the, uh, the Inquisition. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so I guess what I'm trying to emphasize is this. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with science. Operational science is what causes 
uh, people to be able to launch, lo launch rockets into orbit and uh, you know, develop uh, treatments for diseases and so on. We should all be thankful for that. Mm -hmm. But there's a big difference between operational science and historical science or even philosophical science. Mm -hmm. It used to be a lot more honest back in the day when someone would get a degree in what we would call the sciences. They would give them a PhD in natural philosophy. That's what it was called. Mm. And I think it would be a lot more honest mm. if these people said, yeah, I got a worldview. Uh, yeah, I uh, believe in things I can't verify, uh, you know, empirically, scientifically right here. Uh, this is why I think it makes sense. Yep. But when they say, no, no, we just deal with the facts. I had one guy say to me, we'll put our facts up against your facts any day. Mm. And I'm like, they're the same facts. Right. We're just looking at them through a different lens. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll just be honest. I'm biased and you're biased. Yeah. We all have a bias. We all have a way of looking at life. My bias includes uh, the proposition that there is a God, mm -hmm. that he has intelligently designed the creation and that the creation reflects his presence and his intelligence. Through that lens, uh, kind of like C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun's risen, not because I see it, but because by it, I also see everything else. It, it makes sense to me. But I'll be the first one to admit that I am coming at the data from that uh, set of presuppositions. Yeah. You know, where I, I get a little irritated is uh, when uh, the science set, uh, you know, says, no, we don't have presuppositions. We just, we're very, you know, yeah. facts only. Yeah. No, no, you're not. Yeah, so. The world economy begs to differ when the science is determined to be infallible. And by the way, just before we sign off here, I didn't give the evidence of the whales to convince you of abiogenesis macroevolution. I wanted to use their terms to understand and to yeah. appeal to yeah. those who believe that I've at least heard your arguments out. And I didn't go on a long rant taking up time to debunk that position because that wasn't the point of my statement. It's to show that we can hear other evidence and not become heretics. Yeah, and, heretics. If, you, and if you want to explore... Uh, that whole issue, uh, then uh, go to AnswersInGenesis.com. They've got yeah. a great series of articles on yeah, it. Yeah, dot yes. yeah. yeah, thanks for being part of Reason for Hope today. God bless you. We're going to be going live, Book of Ezekiel, in about 30 minutes. Stick around. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.